0: Good morning, Uh, looking forward to continuing our summer teaching series today. And uh, this is, our summer series is called Flawed Yet Faithful. And this is actually part number six. And I'll be looking forward to getting to it because we're gonna talk about um, the first heroine of the faith, the first uh, woman mentioned in Hebrews 11, and that's Sarah. And I'm I'm calling this one from laughter to laughter. We'll we'll find out why uh, at the end of the message. But our passage to ponder is from Hebrews eleven. And it's verses thirty nine to forty. We've been saying it uh, every week. And so it's it's the words will be on the screen here. It says, all these people, these are all the heroes and the heroines mentioned of the faith. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. All right? So, you know, uh, Pastor Kristen last week spoke about Abraham and um, Sarah, who's Abraham's wife. You know, there, there's, it's hard to speak about the two of them because their lives are so interconnected, of course, as, as they're married. But in Hebrews 11, it gives us a little bit of insight into why Sarah is mentioned among the heroes of the faith. And in verses 11 and 12, it says this. It says, And by faith, even Sarah, who is past childbearing age, wasn't to bear children because she considered him, that is God, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Right? It's always interesting to contrast there. You know, Sarah was a little bit old. Abraham was as good as dead. But, um, so, you know, Abraham, he, he's mentioned more than any other character in Hebrews 11. And, you know, last week when Pastor Christian spoke about him, we, we heard uh, a lot of his story and his life is amazing, right? It, it, he's the patriarch of God's family on earth. Uh, it's through him that all the nations are blessed even to this day, right? Jesus' earthly line actually is accounted through Abraham. And Abraham's story, it takes up a significant portion of Genesis, the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. And, you know, he's mentioned in Genesis from, his birth is mentioned in Genesis chapter 11, and all the way until he dies in Genesis 25. And, you know, one of the things that you always find interesting about Abraham is his call, right? And he gets a call from God to go uh, to a land that the Lord will show him. It says he's supposed to leave his father's house and just go right? But at the time, if you read the passage, you realize he's the only one there. God's having a one-on-one conversation with him, as it were. But Abraham, you know, along, alongside Sarah, he, he, he brings other people with him. But those, one of those notable people he brings is his wife, Sarah. And just as Abraham is the patriarch of the faith, uh, Sarah is the matriarch of the faith in God's people, right? So Because they were married and, you know, their individual stories are, you know, entangled with each other. um, You can't mention Abraham without mentioning Sarah. And you can't mention Sarah without mentioning Abraham. So, you know, just as uh, Pastor Kristen spoke about last week, there'll be some crossover today. But we're going to focus on, you know, some of these shared events, how they impacted Sarah, right? And some different aspects of of her relationship with Abraham. So, you know, right at the the beginning, you know, God, he speaks to Abraham directly. And as the text shows, he's by himself. So he gets this message from God. And, you know, Abraham (laughs) being very excited, maybe a little bit disturbed, but willing to go. He he comes home. He comes home and he wants to tell Sarah all about uh, what he heard. So imagine, put yourself in Sarah's shoes for a minute. Abraham gets home and he says, you know what, babe, I got something to tell you. I heard from the Lord today. He said, he's going to make me a great nation. He said, he's going to bless all the families of the earth through me. Right. And remember, Abraham's about 75 years old at the time. Sarah is 65 years old. They don't have any children yet, but he continues. He says, it's going to be amazing. But he says, we got to move. Right. That's just the one thing. That's the one caveat. We got to move. And think about Sarah here for a second, like, like all, good wives, she would have some questions. (laughs) Sarah would ask and say, you know, okay, this sounds interesting, but you know, where are we gonna move to? Abraham replies, I don't know. The Lord just told me to go and he'll show me along the way. See, Sarah says, what are we gonna do when we get there? She's like, he he says, I'm not quite sure. I don't know what we'll do. Well, the Lord's gonna find out. Lord will tell us and we'll find out what we're supposed to do. And here's the toughest one, right? The Lord said to Abraham, I'm gonna make a great nation of you. Multitudes of people will come from you. And Sarah thinking that, you know, she's 65 at this time and she doesn't have a child yet. And Abraham is 75. How is that going to happen? Right, so, you know, think about Sarah here. What is going through her mind when she receives this message, all right? She hears from her husband and whom she trusts and she loves and she respects. But honestly, he sounds nuts right now. He sounds crazy. And you have to think, Sarah, while still not knowing all the details, she decides to go along with her husband. She doesn't get a direct uh, message from the Lord, but she does go. And that's amazing, right? That's the first little insight into Sarah's character there. That, you know, her faith, she has faith in her husband for sure, but her faith much more so in God, the God who will provide, the God who is faithful, the God whom she can trust with her whole life. She decides to go because she believes in him, right? And the first time we get an interaction with Sarah is in chapter 12 of Genesis. And um, this one, I'm I'm calling this one, you know, you've heard the term, if looks could kill, right? And and this one, I, I think it's appropriate for this one. You'll see why. So this is the first little insight we get into Genesis 12. Uh, into Sarah in Genesis 12. And, you know, um, I'm going to read this story and it's a bit of a peculiar story here. And then we're going to pause and we're going to read another story which gives some more clarity. So in chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 10, it says this, "Um, at that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan forcing Abram to go to Egypt. Um, Now, just as Pastor Christian explained last week, at uh, currently where we are in in their life, uh, Abraham is called Abram and Sarah is called Sarai. Okay, their names are changed later on and we'll touch on that. But so Abram is forced to go, um, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, You are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. This is Abram talking. So please tell them you are my sister, he says. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. And Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. That's interesting. He says, what have you done to me? He demanded, Pharaoh demanded, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. Okay, okay. What is going on here? This is a peculiar peculiar story. This is, this is very odd. All of a sudden, you know, Abram comes up with this. He feels it's this foolproof plan. He says, um... Sarah, just tell them, uh, tell them, babe, um, you tell them you're my sister because I know you're so beautiful. They know you're beautiful. As soon as they see you, they're going to kill me. I'm done, and they'll take you from me. So just tell them you're my sister. Abram thinks it's, it's a foolproof plan. Of course, we find out Sarah is taken as a wife. Anyway, it, this plan is, is foolish. It's not foolproof, right? But something odd happens. He... Uh, while Sarah is there and she's now gonna become a wife of Pharaoh, while she's there, God intervenes and he um, pronounces all these plagues upon Egypt. And if that sounds familiar to you, right? This is, uh, Pharaoh is just the name of, of, it's a title given to a king of Egypt, right? And if that sounds very familiar to you, that's a precursor to God um, giving the 10 plagues of Egypt later on when um, Moses uh, asks, um, Pharaoh to let his people go and, and they don't. So this is a little snippet into what's to come later in the Genesis story. But so this Pharaoh is now facing all these plagues in his kingdom. And it's weird because in verse 18, it says, he says to Abram, you know, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? So, so who told Pharaoh that uh, Sarai was Abram's wife? Like, who told him that? How did he even know that? Because they lied. They said it was um, that they were brother and sister, right? So this is a very odd story. But another story, actually about 20 years or so later, gives us a little bit more insight, okay? So keep that story in mind. We'll keep this story in mind and actually give us a little more explanation. So um, 20 years later, this is in Genesis chapter 20. And this story goes this way. Abraham, Abraham at that time, he moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur. And he moved on to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduces wife Sarah by saying, she is my sister. You know, 20 some odd years have passed. It looks like Abraham is using this whole wife, sister ruse regularly. This is, seems to be a part of his character. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. But that night, God came to Abimelech in a dream. Okay. God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you are a dead man, for that woman you have taken is already married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, Yes, I know you are innocent. That's why I have kept you from sitting against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband and he will pray for you for he is a prophet. Abraham's the first prophet mentioned in the Bible. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. Abimelech got up early the next morning because who wouldn't after you've had a dream like that and quickly called all his servants together. When he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us, he demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this? Making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin. Abimelech recognizes that this sin of adultery is a great sin. No one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do to such a thing, he says to Abraham. Abraham replied, I thought this is a godless place. Pause right here. Abraham makes a huge misjudgment of these people. It's very clear that King Abimelech is not godless. He's, he's responding, and you'll see even why further. So Abraham replied, I thought this was a godless, this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. And she really is my sister, for we have the same father, but different mothers, and I married her. It's this half-truth that Abraham is telling. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor, wherever we go, tell the people that I'm your brother. Then look how Abimelech responds. Then Abimelech took some of his sheep, goats, cattle, male and female servants, and he presented them to Abraham. He also returned his wife, Sarah, to him. Then Abimelech said, look over my land and choose any place where you would like to live. And he said to Sarah, look, I'm giving your brother, it says here, I'm giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong I might have done you. King Abimelech recognizes that he has been wrong in this situation, even though he did it with fairly good motives. And what does he do? He seeks to make restitution. So he actually, he gives Sarah back to Abraham He decides to give them 1,000 pieces of silver. He says they can choose wherever they want to live on his land. He actually, he does all of these things. He realizes he's wrong. He makes restitution. He wants to pay reparations as it will. That's an important point. He says, this is to compensate you for any wrong I've done to you. This will settle any claim against me and your reputation is cleared. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female servants so they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. This is another crazy story. And the very last verse actually shows you something that's really important to Abraham and Sarah's story. It says that because of what Abimelech had done by taking Sarah, even if he thought he had good motives, the Lord actually had caused all the women in in King Abimelech's um, kingdom to be infertile. This is important. This is showing that God has the, the ability, he has the strength and the power over fertility. That's very important to Abraham and Sarah's story. So this story, you know, Abraham, we have to really think of this here. Look at those two stories from his interaction with Pharaoh to his interaction with King Abimelech. Remember, the first one after Pharaoh is just a short while after he got the direct message from God. And God says, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to have so many people come from you, from your line. And a couple moments later, he's convinced that he's going to die. He is convinced that Pharaoh sees him and sees his wife, who is is so beautiful, it's it's mentioned, that he's going to kill him and he's going to take Sarah from him. But, If the Lord told you that you're gonna have this great nation to come from you, then he's just forgotten it so quickly, right? So remember, Sarah didn't even hear the message, but we realize one distinct thing between Sarah and Abraham there. See, in that moment, she knows that God will protect her. She knows God will protect his promise. Sarah's fear isn't as strong as her faith in God. Her trust in the Lord supersedes her fear of the unknown. And, you know, the Apostle Peter's inspired words uh, say about Sarah in 1 in, uh, Peter chapter 3, it says, this, it says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Right. So whether it's Sarah, we get this idea of Sarah, whether it's Sarah deciding to follow her husband when she doesn't have all the details or deciding to even go along with this plan, she knows that uh, God will protect her and God will protect his promise. So you see here, in this whole scenario, we get an insight that maybe God actually, he intervenes. As Pharaoh knew that Sarah was Abraham's wife, more, more than likely, God probably visited him, him in a dream like he did with King Abimelech, right? So that's a crazy story and gives us a little insight into Sarah. So Abraham's fear actually causes him to put Sarah in harm's way, but you know, Sarah shows us that her trust in God supersedes all the fear of what could happen to her, okay? So, you know, the Lord intervenes, and this is very important. The Lord intervenes so that Sarah isn't touched, so that there is, would be no doubt on who would be the father of Sarah's baby, the promised child. In both instances, Pharaoh and King Abimelech hadn't laid a hand on Sarah. So we can know without a doubt that Abraham is Sarah's, uh, is the father of Sarah's child. So Abraham, you know, he's using this half truth all the time and it gets him into trouble. Now that's an interesting thing. But we're going to go to you know the the elephant in the room here. If you know anything about Abraham and Sarah, you uh, know about their the big story with Hagar and involving involving Hagar and another baby being born to Abraham, and you have to address it. You can't talk about either Abram, uh, either Abraham or Sarah's life without mentioning this scenario. And I'm calling this one you know whose fault is it anyway? right, so let's read here this account. It says, and this is in uh, Genesis 16, verse one. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife took Hagar the Egyptian servant and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your hands But now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she is your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Okay, this is a big part of their story. This is the one that defines many of the things to come, right? So here we are. And they have this scenario and it's a cultural practice from a time long ago, from an ancient civilization. And this is a practice where the people around, um, they could decide through their female servants, they could decide to take on, the men could actually take on multiple wives. And if they so chose, they could actually adopt the children that were born to them. And Sarai is a good wife. She wants the best for her husband. She wants to see God's will exercise in her husband's life. And naturally she wants to be a part of his blessing and in, 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 uh, inheritance, right? And you know, they, they want to share in each other the good things that they have for each other. But she steps out of bounds because even though she wants these things and she's coming from a good place, she adopts the cultural practices of the day. And that's all because she's struggling with infertility herself. And you know, back then uh, Sarah would have been called barren and it would have been seen as a curse. So, you know, this is what she says, right? She says, you know, I want God's best for you, my husband. I want you to experience God's blessing. And she decides to come up with this idea. She says, take Hagar, my servant girl, as another wife. She's young, she's attractive. And, uh, you know, she can help give you a child, give you the son that's been promised to you. And, you know, this is what she says. She says, I'll do this for you, Aram because I love you and I want God's promise for you. Now we have to remember a side note here, you know, breaking the commands of God, isn't a shortcut to God's promises, okay? It's a shortcut to more trouble. So, you know, Sarah says, I'll do this for you. That's what she says. But ladies and gentlemen, you know, and I know, there are situations in marriages where a wife might say something, but not mean it, okay? Have you ever been through those sort of things as a husband and you walk into a room and there's silence and you say, what's wrong? And the reply is nothing. You know, and I know that she's saying something, but she doesn't mean that. Okay. You know, yes. Did I do anything wrong? And maybe the response is, do you think you did something wrong? Right. You can know that she might not be saying everything she means. And this is the case here with Sarah. She really says, okay, I'll do this for you, my husband. But what she wants to hear is her husband say, no, of course not. We're not going to do this. She wants to hear her husband say, you're enough for me, my bride. We don't need to bring anyone else into our relationship to experience God's blessing. She wants to hear her husband say, God promised me a child and a nation that would come from me. And if he promised me that, he promised that to you too. She wants to hear that. She wants to hear, God say, she wants to hear her husband say that, listen, I would never do something like this. You're all I need. And we're going to trust the Lord no matter how long we're going to wait. That's what she wants to hear. So whose fault is it anyway? Honestly, it's Abraham's fault. It's his fault. And I'm not saying that uh, Sarah is sinless in this because she's not. I'm not saying that, you know, she did the right thing because she tempted him and she, um, brought about a plan that would only bring hurt but in the end it is Abraham's fault and you can tell that by what she says later you know sometimes our you know in our culture it might push against this but I really do believe that scripture is clear that the husband should be the the spiritual leader of the household and this is a case where Abraham is actually abdicating his rules his his uh his leadership I should say So, you know, the husband, it's up to him, I think, to set the tone spiritually, to lead his wife and his children, to teach them what he's learning from God, and to maybe start many of the discussions on spiritual matters, and also to to apply the principles, the spiritual principles, to the lives of him and his family. And he's supposed to help his family guide and discern what God could be saying to them. You know, if the husband uh, hears from God like Abraham did, it's up to him to lovingly communicate what he feels to his wife, Sarah, to his family. And the husband needs to um, considerately understand his wife and know that even though she might say something, she might not mean it that way. And you have to understand your wife's feelings. And if your wife is feeling that she's not enough, reassure her that she's more than enough. In scripture, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Remind her of that. And, you know, what does it say in verse three? It just says, Abram did what Sarai asked. He doesn't lead the family and he suffers the consequences. Hagar and Abraham, they conceive. They have a son, Ishmael. Hagar starts to look down on Sarah and and Sarah is hurt, right? And she, you know, you can imagine what might have happened in those scenarios. Maybe Hagar was um, was quite mean and evil spirited. Hagar might be insinuating, see, the problem lied with you, Sarah, not with me. We have a child. And why don't you have a child after all these years of trying? So, you know, Sarah can internalize this. She might feel that she's at fault to blame. And she might be thinking she's the reason who's holding Abraham back for what God has in store for him. And, you know, marital strife is just multiplying right now. And it's really in the end because Abraham decided to abdicate his responsibility to lead. And so here's what Sarah says after all this in verse five. She says to Abraham, this is your fault. I I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt and the Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And she does say, she says, it's actually Abram's fault. Says, you made me do this. I put him into your hands. Sure. I put her, Hagar, into your hands. Sure. But you accepted it. And the Lord will judge to see who's more wrong, you or I. And she'll judge to say that you're more wrong than I am in this. That's what Sarah's saying. And so even though Sarah said this, she didn't mean it, and Abraham should have known this. He should have said, you know, I, I know you want to bring about God's blessing into our lives, but to provide a child in this way won't do that. And, you know, what does that even remind you? of? What does this scenario remind you? It reminds you a little bit of Adam and Eve, of course, right? Eve begins to doubt God's promise, and she eats of the tree, and then she gives it to her husband, um, Adam, and he eats of it. But God actually said that Adam shouldn't have listened to his wife in that instance. The the spiritual principles were there. God said to leave that tree alone. And so when Adam sinned, though, um, well, through that sin, Adam is the one who's counted as most responsible. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. And that's in Romans 5. We have to realize marriage is like a minefield of temptations, right? A minefield where you're walking and it's dangerous. There's a lot of temptations in marriage. Sometimes when I'm actually um, speaking to some younger couples, um, they might actually come and they might say to me, you know, I've had younger persons say to me, you know, I, I'm gonna look forward to getting married because I can just avoid some of the things I'm tempted with. I, I can avoid the things I struggle with. And I look at them and I say, no, that's not the case. You know, for many of the young people out there, you might realize that when you do finally get married, that all those temptations that you thought were going to stop, they keep coming, you know? Um, sadly, marriage, and we're seeing this in, in Abraham Sarah's life and Adam and Eve's life in the marriages today, that's where you're tempted the most. Um, you can be tempted to be resentful. You can be tempted to be unloving, tempted to be manipulative, tempted to be controlling, tempted to be lustful, tempted to be angry, tempted to be unforgiving, tempted to be bitter. If anything, in marriage is where we're tempted the most with these sort of things, right? And, you know, if your husband is, um, as the husband, if your wife is coming to you with an idea which you feel will only end up hurting her, you and the entire family have the courage to redirect, to reassure her, and to recommit your family to the ways of the Lord. And Abraham doesn't do this. He actually continues along in this way, and then look what happens. Another Uh, woman is hurt. His other wife now, Hagar, is also harmed. And Sarah is totally wrong in this, but she's hurt. And jealousy can make us, can cause us to do some really cruel things. She mistreats Hagar. And we don't know to what extent, but maybe she overworked her. Maybe she deprived her of of even food or water. And, And all the while she knew she was pregnant. And hurt people do hurt people. And Sarah was hurt, but it doesn't really justify her actions. We see in that scenario that, you know, marital strife has been multiplied by the decisions that these two made. And, you know, this whole time, Sarah hasn't actually heard directly from God. And and even here, she doesn't. But this is the first instance that's coming up now that we actually hear of the promised child will come through, uh, through Sarah. So, you know, this is in, this is Genesis 17. And this is the, the time where Abraham has still heard it, but that he knows that the promised child will come to his wife, Sarah. So then God said in verse 15, and God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And Sarai and Sarah both mean princess, but sometimes this idea of the H replacing the I has this idea that um, she actually becomes princess of a multitude, like a matriarch. And he says, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. He says, God says, yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100? Abraham is 99 now at this point in time. He thought, and how could Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? right. So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Ishmael was the child of Abraham and Hagar. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, which means laughter, which is important. And I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. It's amazing. We don't have time to get into it, but God, um, he cares for Hagar. He says he will, as he'll say here, he cares for Ishmael. He says, I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. Great promise for Ishmael as well. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, He left Abraham, okay? The simple point of this is that God often makes us wait longer than we want to. Um, Abraham got the message from the Lord when he was 75. But Isaac wasn't born until he was 100 years old. That's 25 years, a quarter century they had to wait. And Sarah had Isaac at the age of 90. And even though they waited 25 years from that message, they actually waited their whole adult lives to try to conceive. Right, so God's timing, it's not our own, and it's actually better than ours. As we see, when we actually interject sometimes, it can throw off the timing, it can actually cause us trouble. So, we're gonna look at how it ends here. And, you know, this is the point. The, the sermon um, title is called From Laughter to Laughter, and here's where we get that. You know, because from now we visit Sarah, and this is after she's had a, a, a child, There's, we're gonna look at two different time frames. She, she goes from laughing in disbelief to laughing in praise. Okay, so we're gonna look at this. And this is Genesis 18. This is shortly after Abraham had just received the message from God that Sarah will um, bear him a child. And in verse 18, there, or sorry, in verse nine of chapter 18, they're having some um, angelic or heavenly visitors. And Abraham meets these people and they have a message um, for Abraham. And these angelic heavenly visitors say to Abraham, Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, that's just a term of respect for Abraham, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? The Lord is listening. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the, at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. Okay. Now that's just an interesting story, right? Uh, Sarah's listening in on a conversation here. She hears this crazy idea that at the age of 90, she's going to have a son and Abraham, you know, they're going to have a son at this age. And she laughs in disbelief, right? Maybe she laughs in just the fact of almost kind of giving up now, like, oh, that's not going to happen. But God says, no, don't laugh. And then we're going to move forward a little bit to after she has had the son. And this is in Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah who bore him, who means he laughs or laughter. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him or as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Isn't that so true? And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Just the year prior, Sarah is laughing in disbelief. She's laughing in doubt. But what did the Lord say to Abraham? He said, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. And imagine that feeling that Sarah's going through. At 90 years old, she is having her first child. The joy she is experiencing, her whole adult life of waiting for this moment, and here she is having a baby, nursing that baby. So Sarah's life shows us in the end that God can make a way out of the seemingly impossible. That's the takeaway for us. God can make a way when we don't see anyone. Um, Sarah's life shows that the God who is provider, healer, miracle worker, soon coming King in Jesus Christ, he can do the impossible. And is anything too hard for the Lord? A resounding no. And Sarah's life showed us that. So let's pray for us today. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the reminder that all things are possible with you. Thank you for the reminder that uh, you will protect your promises that you've made to us, dear God. Thank you that even though, um, for the reminder that even though we fear, Lord, we can still trust you, that our faith in you can actually supersede our fear just like it did with Sarah. Help us to learn from that example. Thank you still for the reminder that um, impatience, Lord, can cause us to do things that can hurt us. So dear God, please just give us the strength to wait on you and to wait in your timing. Thank you, Lord, again, um, for the reminder that uh, our past actually, Lord, doesn't prevent us from you doing miraculous things through us, Lord. We've all made mistakes in our past, but the life of Sarah shows that, Lord, you can actually correct these things. We can give it up to you, give our past up to you, and you can work wonders for your kingdom. Lord, thank you for Sarah's life, who just shows to us that, dear God, it is a trust in you that ultimately shows that anything is possible. And Lord, we do ask that you help us to learn from her example so that we can actually live, um, live our days in a way that give you, bring you all glory and all the praise. And we say all this in Jesus name. Amen.